Cool. Well, that's going around. I am going to invite Brett up. All right. Good morning, everybody. So this morning, uh, we are going to be uh, continuing our series uh, called In His Image, In His Image. And uh, we are going to be studying how we, as God's people, can be following God's image in today's topic is generosity. And Ken has delightfully started off this morning with generosity by generously giving me this giant oversized water bottle that, yeah, I'm like, this. <laughs> yeah, the Lord provides. Yeah. So, how many of you guys have ever seen a movie, read or a TV show, or read a comic book, or whatever, where the villain, you know, in his, you know, in his villain speech somewhere, says something like, "I will remake the world in my image," right? Something like that. What does he or you know she mean by that? It means that if and when that person takes over the world or, you know, conquers the world, they will remake everything to reflect their values, to reflect who they are as a person. And, you know, in their mind, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be wonderful and the laws are going to change, the buildings will change, the monuments will change, all to sort of reflect who this person is. And hopefully in their mind, you know, the people will go along with that and they're going to rule and make it great in their mind. Uh, and usually, if, it, if that happens in the story, it usually ends up being this, like, gray, rainy, dystopian place of horror and despair and death, and the heroes have to somehow, you know, go and reverse that. And we hear this kind of speech, and we think to ourselves, man, that's kind of harsh, right? Because inwardly, we are supposed to identify with the heroes, and, you know, we don't really want a world full of dark and dreariness, and we think to ourselves, you know, I could never be that villain, Right? And for all intents and purposes, none of us are going to be supervillains. I, I do dress up as supervillains sometimes in my cosplay stuff. So, uh, but, um, but, but hopefully none of us will be supervillains. Um, but the thing is, is that when you think about it, we are actually constantly shaping the world into something whether we know it or not all the time. We think about our homes, right? We think about our homes. We have pictures. They reflect, you know, people we love, things we've, uh, things we value, events that we, we want to share with people. We have furniture. We have, you know, our kitchen that looks a certain way that reflects some of our values. And, you know, we have our cars. They reflect something of us too, right? Some of us like sports cars. Some people like trucks. Um, I, my car is a Toyota Sienna. It is a minivan. Now, some people, of course, say, oh, you have a large family now. You have to have a minivan. I'm like, no, no, no. When I was a kid, when I was a teen, my dream car was a minivan. Okay, most people are like, what? Didn't you? My dream car was a minivan. And so most people are like, what? Didn't you want a sports car? I'm like, no, not really. I'm not, if you want to buy me a sports car, go ahead. Please do. But what? Or, no. Kathy would kill me if I got a motorcycle. Come on. Um, yeah. I always wanted a minivan because I wanted a family, I wanted to take people around, I wanted to have the ability to store things, well not store things, but you know, take things along with you, you know, help someone move, that kind of thing. And so a van to me was like, well that's perfect. And so when I got my, my Sienna, I'm like, hey, living the dream. You know, our phones, uh, our, our computers, they have sounds, they have pictures that reflect us, you know, the ringtone, um, they reflect us. Uh, our kids sometimes reflect us, right? Ethan is starting to learn how to read, and he's picking out words in books, and he's like, you know, he can read like that and there, he and she, and then he got to one book that says, oh, 
two words right there. That's Luke Skywalker. And I'm like, that is Luke Skywalker, buddy. And he's like, he's reflecting me. He's becoming a little Star Wars fan. <laughs> Proud Papa. And so, is, you know, isn't it wonderful when, you know, kids start reflecting us, right? And then on the flip side, isn't it terrible when kids sometimes start reflecting us? Case in point, my son Ethan, he was yesterday a little frustrated with something. And he goes, Ugh. I'm like, where did you get that kid? Oh, me. Because when I get frustrated sometimes, I'll go, oh, this little groan. And he, he copies me. And he starts reflecting who I am, both positively and negatively. And so sometimes for us, you know, every time we get upset, we might react really negatively and harshly to someone. And when we do that, we instill a little bit of fear in them, a little memory, a little warning to them, saying, hey, whatever you just did, don't do that again, because I'm going to react negatively to you. And we've suddenly shaped that person a little bit more to our preferences. So in, in little ways, we are shaping the world more to sometimes our image. Right? We do this all the time, whether we know it or not. We all want to be remembered, we all want to be noticed. We all want to leave a legacy. We all want to leave our mark. And maybe we don't all want to be famous. Okay? We don't want to necessarily be in the history books one day, but no one wants to be completely forgotten. But I think that very often, for all the good things that we do, we can often leave some very negative and selfish impacts on the world. In our own persons, we have a sinful nature, and we don't always leave the nicest picture. And so perhaps what we need to do is not focus on leaving our own image, but we need to leave behind the image of God. The image of God is one that we as people are all made with. We have the potential, we have the possibility to reflect God, His nature, His values, His grace, His vision, His attributes, His character. That is all imbued in each one of us. And Scripture tells us that the greatest example of the image of God is Jesus. Is Jesus. Because Jesus, when he was here on earth, he had such a deep connection. And okay, he was God. Okay, he had, but he had such a deep connection to the Father. He was intimately with him all the time. So that his life was the image of God as a person here on earth. So that when we follow Jesus, we have a chance to pattern our lives after him. And thus after the image of God. We get to tap into the image of God that God gave us anytime. The world says a lot of times, oh, just be you, right? Be who you really are. Be who you feel you are. Okay? And sometimes that can be okay. But a lot of times the things that we choose and the things that we identify with, the things where we feel most free in, are things that are still contrary to what God wants for us. And so the question we have to ask ourselves as believers is not, well, who do I feel I am? But who does God say I am? And that is the image of God. We can grow into that image. Our lives should be an outward expression of who God is. So, for example, God is a holy God, and as such, we as image, image bearers of God can be holy as well. God is a forgiving God and a graceful God, and we can be forgiving and graceful too. And as we're going to learn today, God is a generous God, and therefore we can be generous as well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm uh, ch chapter 4, so one quick verse here, and then we're going to jump into Matthew. Psalm 4.23 reads, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. I'm not going to use any direct image of God passages right now, but the Bible is full of this idea that our hearts have something in it, 
And that is the image of God, but is also our human nature as well. And there's this constant battle going on. And so the, the psalmist writes here, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And so from our hearts can spring life or death. The image of God or us. So we have to be vigilant in it. We have to guard our, guard our hearts and make sure that the image of God is what's coming out. Now turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 this is in the Sermon on the Mount. One of my favorite all-time passages. Matthew chapter 6, this is verse 19 through 24. Jesus is going to give us an example as well. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth for where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one or lo and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So Jesus is using this sort of similar metaphor. He, for, he says that for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts have treasured things, right? And we often will find it reflected in the world. And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body, okay? The eye is the lamp of the body. Some people say that the eye is the window to the soul, right? And so in, um, in this translation, he says, if your eye is healthy or unhealthy. And I think when, when the NRSV Bible translates as unhealthy and healthy, it's a little understated. It's a little bit, I don't know, it's kind of nice about it. Uh, ESV and NASB say, if your eye is bad. Yeah, and I think that's also a little understated. I think the best translation actually of this is, if your eye is evil, is evil. And the evil eye, you might have heard of the phrase the evil eye, it was a Near Eastern uh, concept that said if, you're, uh, if you have the evil eye, you are looking around at things constantly with a sort of intense fervor of desire. And you're constantly grasping at things and trying to get things. And that is this evil eye. And Jesus uses this idea of this evil eye to say, look, when you have an unhealthy eye or a bad eye or an evil eye, and you're constantly striving over after, after these other things, your heart is reflecting something. Your heart is reflecting and you're going after all these things. And his, his overall point in this passage is discipleship, right? Because he says, you cannot serve both God and wealth. And so if we want to serve God, if we want to be His disciples, if we want to make an impact for the kingdom, we have to be fully and devoted to Him. We have to reflect the image of God with full commitment. But oftentimes, things get in the way, and things can be distractions. And what does he sort of bookend this eye of the lamp of the body passage? He bookends it with two illustrations about money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but instead store up treasures in heaven. And then you cannot serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. You see, he uses this because money and wealth are two of the biggest distractions we have in this world, if not maybe the biggest. The Bible talks about money more than like a lot of things. It talks about it a lot. 
money and wealth and chasing after it, storing it, treasures here on earth, can become immense distractions, even obstacles to following Jesus. You take the example of the rich young man who came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And he says that he has followed all the laws, he honors his father and mother, all that, he's done all the right things. And Jesus tells him one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and then you will have treasures in heaven. And the man's reaction is not, okay, sure, yeah, thank you. It is, I have a lot of possessions. And he went away sad. That thing that he was holding on to, there his heart was. And he could not follow after Christ. The way we relate to money says a lot about our hearts and what is really driving us as people. Jesus gives us this bold statement, you cannot serve both God and wealth. That's pretty in your face, right? It implies that in one sense, with the same level of affection, devotion, and enthusiasm, you can serve money or you can serve God, but not both. But not both. In fact, Jesus says, you will love one master and despise another. That's a pretty harsh line in the sand. Now, you may say to yourself, well, I mean, I kind of like money. You know, I don't love money, but I like money. Does that mean I hate God? Or, wait a minute, I love God. Does that mean I have to hate money? No, not exactly, of course. He is using a little bit of hyperbole here. But the point is still clear, is that if one becomes your master, and of course that master should be God, right? If one becomes your master, you need to be fully devoted to God. And if you suddenly find yourself chasing after wealth and focusing all your energy and attention into those things, you're going to lose that commitment to God. The master requires loyalty and commitment. Discipleship cannot be divided. And so basically, one can worship and serve God, or one can worship or serve wealth. And maybe, okay, we aren't singing songs about money, right? We're not singing worship songs to money. We're not putting money on a shrine and worshiping it. We don't give tithes and offering to money, however you do that, okay? We don't do that, right? And yet, how many of us have said, oh, if I just had more money, then I could serve God. Then I could care for the poor. Then I could be a better husband or wife. Then I would be somebody. In a way, we're worshiping money that way, right? How many of us have checked our bank accounts constantly and looked at it and just expressed our deep worry about it? It's kind of like almost praying to money, just expressing our emotions to it. Or we live to get that one extra dollar, and we will do anything to get it. You know, we'll drive across town to, to save money and, and, you know, waste a bunch of gas to get it. And, 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 you know, just do anything to earn it and save it no matter what the cost. Just add a little bit more, right? Or we hold on to it so tightly that and you, we hide it under our mattresses, and, and we never spend it even though we actually do need something. Or we withhold it from loved ones because we want to hoard it for ourselves. We create this little sacred space for money, when we should be having a sacred space for God. Or on the flip side, maybe we flaunt it and display our money and glorify ourselves, like, look how awesome this is. Well, that's kind of like evangelism. Maybe we spend so much and buy things because it makes us feel secure or in control, and it helps numb some of our pain. The rich and poor alike might do anything to get it. Backwards deals, emotional manipulation, little white lies, illegal activity, throwing someone under the bus. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Maybe some of us have done it. All of these things may not outwardly show it, but inwardly, subtly, they speak to something inside us, a brokenness, 
an insecurity, a poverty-type mentality. What do we turn to when we're feeling down? We turn to money. We turn to wealth. Do we find our identity and security in those things? And what? We might manipulate and control. We forget people. Darkness starts taking over the light in our, in our eyes. And we have to ask ourselves, who are we serving? What are we serving? The answer might be, it's a dollar. Now, of course, money is essential in the world today, right? We cannot get around this fact. Yes, in an ideal sense, we could all barter and serve each other and just meet each other's needs. We could live a world like in Star Trek, okay? In Star Trek, in Star Trek First Contact, okay? No. Okay, like, wait a minute, Star Trek? Okay. In Star Trek First Contact, <laughs> Captain Picard says we no longer work for money, we work for the betterment of mankind, okay? And, you know, yes, I'm quoting Star Trek. You, we, you all know me as a Star Wars guy. I'm actually a huge Star Trek fan. I like both. You can, you can like both. It's okay. Yeah. Okay? I'm a person of unity. I've grown up with both. Um, okay, yeah, right. Okay, Star Trek Discovery is amazing. You should watch that show. Um, anyways, um, yes, back to God. Yeah. <laughs> So, in an, I- in an ideal world, maybe we could live in a world without money, but it would take a huge monumental shift by all the world's thinking to get rid of that. So, we're going to have that in heaven, of course, where God is going to provide for all of our needs, but right now, we have money. That's a system we've been dealt with ever since money has been created. But the way we think about money, the way we relate to money, and I think the way we relate to ourselves and to God is what we're talking about here. Again, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust consume, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I believe in bank accounts. I believe in savings accounts, though their interest rates are usually pretty terrible. And I believe in investments. I believe that is a good and smart way to make your money grow if you do it right. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want you to have a bank account. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want you to make money. No, that doesn't make any sense. But it is informed by verse 21, which is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the problem becomes, if we are constantly worried about our bank accounts, if we're constantly worried about our pile of money, if our life's work is dedicated to our bank account, if we find security and identity in how much money we have, if work is getting in the way of the things of God, if working is getting in the way of coming to church all the time, that's when it can become a problem. That's where the problem lies. It can be sometimes an annoying distraction for us at best or at worst. It can be a catalyst for anxiety and destructive behavior. And so instead, what is Jesus' solution? What does Jesus say we should do instead? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, wait a minute, how does that work? Can I, like, PayPal heaven? You know, can I be like, mm, I'm going to go send $10 to heaven. That's storing up treasures in heaven. No, it doesn't work like that, obviously, right? You can't just, like, t- take ten tell and be like, woo, throw it up to God. Like, it doesn't work like that, okay? W- instead, storing up treasures in heaven, what does that mean? It is good works. In Jewish culture, the concept of storing up treasures in heaven is good works. For example, the rich young man is promised treasures in heaven if he sells his possessions and gives to the poor. He doesn't. But for us, these good works, this generous life that Jesus is commanding, that's what the solution is. It is an action. Generosity to the church, generosity to God, generosity to the poor, to friends, to family, 
giving of oneself, our resources, our wealth, letting go of the wealth that we've generated with open hands and giving away. Good works. Jesus' solution, instead of focusing on storing up some treasures here on earth, is living a generous life. Generosity is the opposite of hoarding and focusing on wealth. Focusing on obtaining, maintaining, and keeping wealth is often worship of oneself or money itself. Well, instead, good works and generosity is worshiping God. The wonderful and challenging thing about living the image of God is that God calls us, He inspires us, and He empowers us and helps us, but it is also up to us. We have a choice to make. Human participation in God's kingdom is vital. Personal responsibility is real. God sometimes does do miracles, absolutely. He does make things just happen. He does. We have seen it. But much of the time, He's asking us to participate in things and take responsibility to grow into the image of God. And how do we do that? First, we have to get His heart. We have to get to know Him, right? We need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be listening for His voice. We need to spend time with God. Because, of course, when we spend time with people, we start taking on some of their attributes, right? We start taking on some of who they are. Jennifer is smiling because she knows what's coming up. Okay, so I'd like to point out a few examples of this. My wife has been, uh, you know, we've all been in this church now for about, I think, seven or eight years, and she has started to take on some of the vocabulary and phrases of other people in this church. And I started listening to her, I'm like, she never sounded like that when I knew her in high school or college. Case in point, when, like, when Addie is, like, getting into something, like, something you shouldn't do, she'll be like, girl, you need to get away from that. <laughs> I'm like, wait. That, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, where did she get that from? Jess Martell. <laughs> yeah. Girl. <laughs> I was like, she never said that in high school. <laughs> but now, like, you listen to her, she says that. I'm like, okay. And here's another one. I'm, this may offend somebody, some people, okay? And I do not mean to offend people, and I do not mean to be a grammar Nazi, even though I kind of am. But she has said a few times, I've seen this. Okay, now you may think to yourself, what's wrong with that? Some of you are laughing because you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I seen is not the proper way of, say, of the past tense of saw. <laughs> I'd just like to point this out, okay. If you say it, I don't really mind because it's, it's just how we talk, and that's okay. But I seen is the past participle, it's the past participle of, of uh, I see, okay. I saw is the correct way of saying it. Again, if you say it, totally cool. But uh, Kathy has now started to say I seen a bit, okay. So the correct version, just so you know, is I saw. Anyways, yeah, right, okay, all right, yeah, <laughs> have I lost like half of you? I don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's in Greek and Hebrew, well, it's a different story. All right, so anyways, when you spend time with people, you often take on some of their character, their attributes, and it's in the same way with God, with God, when we spend time with Him, we start learning about His character. And we start learning about his generosity, right? Generosity is a natural outflow of the reflection of Jesus. It's a reflection of our relationship with God. Generosity can be an action that flows from our hearts. It can be the fruit of our discipleship. Think of the early church, right? The early church. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the church began to form. And listen to how God's people responded to God's work after the resurrection. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 43 to 45. 
Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were t- together and, all the, and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all as anyone might have need. So what does it say that these disciples, these new followers of Jesus, had? They had a feeling of sense of awe. And this Greek word is pasuke phobos, meaning in their soul they had this fear of God, this fear. But it's not a uh, fear. It is a whoa fear. It's a reverence, it says. It is, it is like this awesome power. And so, you know, they, they experience the resurrection. They, they see the signs and wonders that are being, that are being performed in, the, in their midst. And they're like, this is amazing. God is amazing. And so they have this sense of feeling in them. And how do they respond? In generosity. Like, God gave his son. God gave his all for us. So now I can give to everyone else. I can respond in kind. They responded with awe and wonder, and then they started sharing all things in common. If God's willing to share his deepest self through Jesus, then I can share a little bit of me too. True generosity comes from a heart changed by God, a heart that is transformed by God, a heart that is shaped by gratitude. It's a response to God. If we want to reflect the image of God, we do it best when it's in response to God's love. Generosity is a natural response. It was for the disciples, and it can be for us, because God is a generous God, right? And generosity can then be a form of reflecting Him and worshiping Him as well. Indeed, if we are to follow Jesus, our inner self needs to match the image of God. We follow God's character. James 1.17 reads, Every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And of course, John 3.16, the most famous verse in all the world, for God so loved the world that He gave, He gave His one and only Son. Jesus is an act of generosity. Jesus is an act of generosity. And his, this greatest act of God's generosity is a double blessing. And why? Because God didn't give it for His sake. Because Jesus Himself is the gift, right? But then that gift, you open it up and it expands. It's another gift inside. Because it's salvation, and it's the life we've always wanted. Jesus is a double blessing gift. Generosity within generosity. And we can follow that. Now, of course, I hope that no one has to give up their life for anyone else. I pray that that never has to happen. But can we live our lives in generosity instead? Right? Now, you might be saying, have you seen my bank account? My wallet has moths flying out of it, like in the cartoons. It is hard to give what we don't have, right? I understand that. I was driving uh, uh, a few months ago in the car, and uh, Ethan and Addie had fallen asleep in the car, probably around like 4 o'clock, when the sun was still out. And they woke up around 6, when the sun had now set. And Ethan wakes up, he's like, Daddy, where's the sun? I'm like, oh, oh, you fell asleep before, and now the sun has set. It's almost nighttime, buddy. He says, Daddy... We need to go back and get the sun. I'm like, I cannot do that. I can't give you the sun. And he starts kicking his feet like he does when he gets upset. He's like, Daddy, I want the sun. I need the sun. I'm like, 
I can't give you the sun, boy. If, if you wanted crackers, I'd give you crackers. If you wanted water, I'd give you water. If you want fast food, I'll pull over and go get you fast food right now. But I cannot give you the sun. Now, yes, one time in the Bible, God did stop the sun for the Israelites. I'm like, okay, do I have enough faith for that right now? Could I pray that God reverses time and gives the sun back? And I'm like, I kind of don't think he's going to do that just for this kid's tantrum. Maybe I don't have the faith for it. I don't know. But I'm like, son, I can't give you it. And he's like, I want the sun. And eventually he did calm down. I don't remember how. I think I'm in shock still of it. Um, But, you know, I couldn't give what I don't have. I don't have power over the sun. And I, I, I get it. Sometimes we feel like we don't have money, so how can we be generous? And we might say, well, wait a minute, God's generous, sure, but he kind of has, a, you know, an advantage because he's God and he can, you know, make things appear out of thin air if he wanted to. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He could, you know, right now, just like $100 bills just boom, piling up on the pulpit if he wanted to. That would cause a lot of inflation, I think. But, you know, he could do that if he wanted to. There is this thing called scarcity, right? A finite amount of resources in this world and not everyone has it. That is true. But when it comes to generosity, we should also include things that are not just money, the things we have, right? Our time, our energy, our knowledge, our wisdom, our prayers. Jesus, of course, gave of himself. He didn't go up on the cross and then shower people with money. No, he gave himself. He gave himself. But often those things we withhold too. Because our hearts still aren't in that generous place. God may give us a moment or a situation where we can contribute to somebody, where we can bless somebody, and then we don't. We don't. We have to ask ourselves, where is my relationship with God? Am I really devoted to following Christ in this area? Is it the image of God that's reflected, or am I reflecting my own selfishness? We are often focused on the worldly questions. Oh, will I look silly doing this? doing this? What will other people think? Do I have enough money? Do I have time for this? When we really have to ask ourselves the true question, do I trust God? Do I trust God enough that I'm going to tap into the image of God today? Luke, tw- uh, Luke chapter uh, 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. This poor widow gave more, not monetarily more, not numerically more, sure, but she gave more because her trust was in God more. She knew that this one simple truth is reality. All that we have is God's, and God is trustworthy. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. Deuteronomy 8, 18, do not say to yourself, my power and the, and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to create wealth. We can trust in God. We can trust in God and be like the poor widow to give generously in any situation. This is why all those fears, those insecurities, those things that hold us back from being generous, all those things can be overcome by one's relationship with God if we can make it strong enough, if we let Him in and really want to reflect the image of God. Because the poverty mentality can be overcome by a Jesus mentality. Because your heavenly Father has a bank that will never be bankrupt. Because Jesus gave us so much and still has more and wants to still give us more. 
because God imbued us with his image that we might not reflect brokenness and fear and selfishness and greed, but instead we might reflect him. The passage after um, the, the main passage we read about with the eye and not serving two masters is, uh, is do, not worthy, uh, do not worry. Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, about your body or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then skipping over to verse 33, But strive first for the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those things will be given to you as well. If we truly believe in Him, if we truly believe His promises, we can be generous no matter what the circumstances we can be generous no matter what. Now, being generous with your time doesn't mean that you can hoard your money, right? You can't say like, well, I'm going to just, you know, spend all my time here, so now I get to keep all my money for myself, okay? And on the flip side, you can't just throw money at problems and then say, well, I'll never have to spend time with anybody now and invest my, my life into people, okay? God is going to ask us to be generous in both things. Sometimes it could be one. It could be the other. It could be other things. It could be a mix, we have to be in constant communication with God. How do I need to be generous in this situation? Okay? So you can't get off the hook for one of them. Okay? Now, we also might say that, well, wait a minute. Everyone can be generous, right? People who don't follow Christ are generous, right? And that's true, right? You, you can't say that someone who doesn't follow Jesus who gives like a million dollars to something isn't generous. Okay? That is generosity, sure. It exists all over the place. The question is, though, is that what is the difference between godly generosity and regular generosity, right? So yes, and many times people can be generous. It is a tax deduction after all. And uh, people can be selfless. I do believe that. People really can be selfless and giving. Uh, I, I never want to say that they're not necessarily. Um, but we, we all know that generosity can sometimes benefit ourselves, right? And people can often give to expect something back right? And curry a favor later on. Uh, when I say the company Honda, uh, what do you think about? A car. A, a mini, okay, a minivan, sure, yeah. Hondas are good cars. Anything else? Anything else come to mind? What? Rolling Heights? Rolling, yeah, yeah, lots of Hondas and Rolling Heights, yeah, okay. Rice rockets. Um, yeah, okay. How, how, maybe it's not working, but what I, what? Ah, there it is, the helpful Honda guys, okay? The helpful Honda guys, okay? And so uh, the helpful Honda guys, this has been a marketing campaign that Honda's had for the last few years. And the helpful Honda guys, uh, you know, they, you know, go out of their way to be helpful to people. And a lot of times, you know, you hear someone call up uh, and like, oh, I have this problem, and then they, they uh, <laughs> mostly they give money to people, okay? And I'm like, you guys are a multi-billion dollar company. This isn't really, like, hurting you that much. Is that really generous? And yes, it is generous, of course. It is still giving. I'm not trying to knock that, and Hondas are great cars. Um, but I was watching uh, TV uh, during Christmas time, and there was this commercial on, and there was a claymation, a helpful Honda guy, and a claymation penguin. Okay, and the penguin it says, "Oh, uh, we all know penguins mate for life, but I can't find anybody because I look like all the other penguins." And so he goes to the helpful Honda guy and says, "Hey, helpful Honda guy, can you help me uh, up my game?" And the helpful Honda guy takes him to like a suit store and buys him sunglasses, and then says, "Hey, we're the helpful Honda guys. We just helped this penguin up his game." And then it shows like the penguin like going to a club or something like that, and I'm like, "That penguin's not real. You didn't actually help anybody." 
that's not real generosity. That's a fake. That's, and then what, so what is Honda trying to do? They are trying to get in our minds that, hey, we're a good company. We're, a, we're, we're good people. We're helpful. So, you know, whenever you want to buy a car, you might think of us. That's the inner message behind the marketing scheme, right? And so their helpfulness is really trying to get them a little bit of business, right? And many times our helpfulness can be like that as well. When God wants us to give, just like he gave Jesus, it wasn't for him. It was for us. We can give and just not expect anything back. And giving and generosity then can be an invitation for other people. It can be an invitation into relationship with us and then also with God. Generosity by itself is good. Don't want to knock it, of course. But generosity with God's purposes, His love, His grace, when our hearts are aligned with His, generosity becomes so much more. Jesus' command to be generous is not just be generous. Be generous. It's not that. Okay? It is an invitation into God's community. Remember that Jesus' generosity was a great unifier. It brought people together. Our generosity can do the same. Our generosity can be that same type of invitation. We can make God known through our generosity, and that should be one of the primary purposes to let generosity be a reflection of God so that people can experience God. Acts 4, 32-35. Now the full number of those, this is again the early church, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. And no one said that any of those things belonged to him or was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of land and houses, sold them and brought the proceeds to, and what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to each as they had need. The early church responded to the gospel, and they grew in one heart and mind. They were unified together because of Jesus, and they had generosity. Is it any wonder that the early church exploded into a megachurch nearly overnight? Because people can see true generosity. People could see an authentic response to God. When people see that, there's so many times people are cynical, they say there's hypocrites and all that, and sometimes that is true, but when they can see an authentic response, and generosity can be one of those things, when we say, I can be generous because my Jesus is generous, and reflect that out, we can be unifying, and we can invite people in. Our lives are meant to be blessings to people. So often we are consumed by protecting ourselves, the things of this world, by showing our glory, that we often block and ignore the ways that God wants to bless people, and invite people into a relationship with Him. God wants to do so many things, but we often block Him. Let's put the image of God first. Let's put the image of God first. And part of that is having a generous heart. That generous heart combats fear. It combats insecurities and idols within us. We can tap into the image of God as well as the knowledge and experience of His love and grace and give that to people. So when the poor in our community need a hospital built, we can be generous because Jesus modeled it. When our friends and family ask us to sacrifice something, we can be gracious and sacrifice something of ours because Jesus did it too. When we tithe, we can do so with a thankful heart, without grudge, because we have grown in our trust with God. When we live generously, we can do so because by doing so, we become more and more the people we are meant to be, that God created us and designed us to be, and then we can reflect it out to everyone else. We've all heard the phrase, don't work for your money, make your money work for you. But I think the, the real phrase should be, make God's money work for God's kingdom. Not quite as catchy. I'll work on it. But it's true.
Let's make God's money work for his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are the God who gave us so much. You've given us so much, God, and I pray, Lord, that we are thankful this morning, thankful for every breath, thankful for your son, thank you for the sacrifice, thank you for the love, thank you for the grace, thank you for the way that you've called us into a new and better life. Thank you that you are our God who's with us all the time. Thank you that you will not reject us. So, Lord, this morning, first and foremost, we want to say thank you. May you grow in us hearts of gratitude. And God, would you inspire us this morning with your example, with your image, and may we be able to live that out in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, wherever we are, Lord. May we grow in our hearts of generosity. I pray, Lord, that you would break down the strongholds that we have in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would break uh, any things that are holding us back uh, in terms of our wealth, in terms of our understanding of money. Pray that you would fill us anew with a new revelation of how we can relate to wealth, how we can relate to people, that we can start to live generous lives. We pray in your son's holy name. Amen. Give God praise.